No, but it just hasn't happened. Um, but it will. I believe it will. And when I said I feel like he needs me is because uh, the other fight fell through and there's probably a demand for who's next, like people saying who's next. And I think, I think I'm a good candidate, you know what I mean? So I think this is a good time to kind of put that pressure on. But that's where my mind is like, people, I'm sure Franklin's thinking about, I want to become heavyweight champion of the world. If I can beat him, this is where I'm going. So I'm thinking, like, if I get through this guy, he's dangled a carrot in front of me. I'm chasing that. I'll say one thing, Croco. When AJ boxed Alexander Usyk, the split was already determined by the order of the mandatory. It was 25%. He didn't have a belt. He was just a challenger in the heavyweight division. AJ took it on the chin because he wanted to be undisputed. He said, okay, fine, 75-25. He beat AJ twice, unified the division. And Fury just offered him an extra 5%. The biggest payday of Alexander Usyk's career so far is bigger than the biggest payday of Tyson Fury's career. And on that, I bid you farewell. Hi, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where... I just don't know, man. I uh, I have no idea whether we know what boxing needs to be doing or not. We we seem to be lost and rudderless at the moment. This is the one time you wish, above all else, we had one figurehead in the sport that could help us set the direction, like Floyd did when Floyd was in power. You know, we we knew what we'd be doing in May, we knew what we'd be doing in September, and everything else kind of built up to those two points. And now it's just everyone's just out to get their own money. So it. Yeah, it's been, it's frustrating and this might be the time to take a summer break for, for all of us, take a step away from boxing. I'm, I'm not overly sold on anything they're producing on July 1st, um, so I'm quite happy to take most of the summer off and just, just chill the F out. And I think that's how I describe it right now, just chill out because, yeah, we're, we're ending on a bit of a whimper. And I think the Boxer Show on Friday is a prime example of the confusion and the frustration that most people feel. The overwhelming sentiment from the people I spoke to about that show was this. They didn't do anything in York Hall that Steve Goodwin hasn't done before. So with that considered, why not just say to Steve, can we film your show, we'll give you some money, we'll film your show and we'll put it on, our, we'll put it on Sky. You know, here's, here's a bit of extra change, beef your card up and we'll put this on Sky. Because what Steve has is... A core fan base, right? Steve Goodwin has a core fan base. There are people who go to Steve Goodwin shows because they know what they're getting. Layered on top of that, you have the friends and family of the fighters involved. And then on top of that, you've got people who are kind of in the sport who go to see their mates, right? So what you've got is a pretty fervent and febrile crowd. There's a lot of energy there. So even when your call's not 100% full, it can get rocking on a Goodwin show, and it's by no means just Steve. Um, Alfie Warren's shows have a similar vibe as well, because they're layered in that way. The, the whole card is structured that way. Hobson shows are like that, because it starts off with the people who would come anyway, then it's the friends and family, and then it's kind of the people who come for the reunion, right? And so you get a good crowd. What you had on Friday at York Hall was part small hall show, small part, and they're just part kind of marketing and hype, right? So you had a, a load of people there who traditionally wouldn't be at your core. So they don't really have that your core feel or energy or excitement. And so, yes, you had a, essentially, that was, a, for me, a small hall show. What I saw Sky and Boxer do on Friday night was essentially give us what Hearn should have given us with Next Gen. That card was a definition of next-gen. So I put it in the small hall category, but it didn't have an atmosphere that indicates interest or excitement. Now, someone at Boxer will probably call me and correct me on this, but I don't believe that anyone had to go out and sell tickets. And I think for those kinds of shows, you should have to go and sell tickets. I don't care if it's just, look, you've got a day to sell as many tickets as you can. I don't care. Just go out and sell tickets because these kids have to learn how hard it is to convince people to watch you. Because they get a lot early and they get all this attention and all of this hype and stuff. But the harsh reality is a lot of these guys aren't commodities. And then they find this out the hard way when they start demanding more money. Then the truth hits them like, well, why would we pay you more than 10 grand for a fight? You don't generate that kind of money. 
because we've got to pay you, the opponent, and ourselves. You don't generate that kind of money. Whereas if you go out and sell tickets, you show your value. And I think all young fighters should go through the ticket selling process because it will give them an awareness of how hard things can be for people. You know, if you're there trying to sell tickets and someone says, look, my mortgage has gone up, um, or my rent's gone up, you know, my taxes have gone up, childcare's gone up, hey, I can't do boxing anymore. And I wish more promoters encouraged that because then you'd find out who's hungry for this and who isn't. And so that Friday show, in terms of atmosphere, in terms of just visuals, wasn't what a Goodwin show is. And I know there's debates about, well, the card's better than what Steve Goodwin could put together. Duh. Yeah. But not in terms of atmosphere. Like, if you could have taken that card and, and sort of edited in, like, a, a peak Goodwin atmosphere, then, yeah, fans would be like, God, I need to be there. You know, but it, it so that didn't work. The second thing was people suddenly realize why well, you don't touch your call in the summer. Um, I think the ring temp can get to about 30, 32 degrees comfortably on a night like Friday. And people say you should be able to, to train and perform through that. Well, temperature's never the problem. And I say this repeatedly. Temperature's never the problem. It's the humidity. Because it means that you can't expel the air as fast as you, as you would normally and you can't pull it in as fast as you would normally. The second thing is your natural cooling mechanisms don't work because you can't dissipate the moisture on your skin into the atmosphere because of the humidity. Where does the humidity come from? All the heat and the vapor from everybody else. And the extraction system is non-existent in your core. So you're essentially just in like half a greenhouse because like the roof's pretty, pretty exposed. And... Someone said that they keep the heating on all year, which wouldn't surprise me either. But essentially, that looked like an incredibly tough environment to operate in, whether you're presenting, commentating, or just fighting. That looked terrible. And I guess that's the lesson learned. I just... I get the value of your call, and people love to talk about how it's this great boxing venue, which it isn't, to be honest with you. It's a terrible venue. It's a leisure center. But people like to oversell what it is. But I'm always surprised that we haven't made more use of the copper box. I just think most boxing in Britain should happen at the copper box. I'm, and I'm just surprised it hasn't. Now, people will say, oh, well, you know, you've got to sell tickets to fill the copper box. I get that. But what? apart from Ben Shalom, every other promoter's had about a decade to be able to do that. And the fact that they haven't been able to do that is a worry. But that, that, I think that they would be my high-level bugbears with the Friday show. In terms of the fights, what's the next-gen show, isn't it? So we got to see what, what the future holds at various levels, by the way. So I don't know if we'll see guys like Sam Gilly and Josh Gustavi again on Skype. Neither man did their chances any harm, by the way. I thought Sam Gilly did well. Um, you know, and Josh Gustavi, they're, they're, they're small hall warriors, so they know the terrain pretty well, so they feel comfortable there. And it was nice of them to get some, some TV exposure, even if it was on the internet, it doesn't matter, because it got to what, when I briefly watched, it was about 5,700 people were watching the live stream. That's pretty good going, like, that's probably what this episode will get. So I can't complain about numbers like that, because, well, you know, <laughs> I wish I could do that every day. I mean, I'd be happy with that. And so you look at that and you go, that's fine. And then the, the other Azim brother, Hassan, he, he looked good. But he always looks good. And I think if he didn't have the brother he has, we'd be talking more about him. And I like the fact that he demolishes his opponent in a round. Like, that's normally what his brother does. So I'm, I'm happy for him. Not sure what his ideal weight is. I think TV fighting weight will be 152. I think championship weight will be 147 for him. And I think they'll probably run it that way for a while. But I wish him all the best. I thought he was I thought I thought he was pretty good for all the time that we saw him and he gives me a lot of hope that there's a little bit of depth in this boxer roster. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't know if Roman Fury's another one of the Furies to come off the conveyor belt, but 
we need to stop with this idea that we're just going to leverage the Fury name. I've been saying this for a couple of days now. Like They always talk about the Fury fighting family as if the Spinks family didn't exist and the Spinks family didn't do it a lot better. Because really, what we've got right now in terms of Furies, let's just define it as Furies that were any good. Tyson, Huey, done. That's it, done. As boxers, that's it, done. There's no need to do anything else. Stop sending the rest of them down the pipe to us. We, we've seen enough of the Furies now. Like it, it's, there's a reason Tyson didn't come back to watch that. He probably already knew. But thanks, but no thanks. I think Sky needs to do better in that sense. Good to see Isaac. Um, got to catch up briefly with Isaac um, ahead of the fight. I just feel for the guy. All he needs are rounds. Just give Isaac Chamberlain rounds. He should fight on July 1st. If it was me, I'd put him on the card July 1st. It, it's not like the card is that stacked that you couldn't fit Isaac on there. But I'd put Isaac on there. Let him do an 8 or a 10 rounder. Just let, he needs to just get the, the groove back. And then I can see him being competitive with all of these guys. You know, the cruiserweight division is now moving forward. You know, you've got Jay Opataya, who's been mandated to fight Richard Riakpour. So that might bring another belt to the UK, although it's not guaranteed, by the way. Let me be absolutely clear. Jay Opataya is, is no mug. Um, he, he's got that kind of movement as, as a southpaw that might set Richard off a little bit. But then again, Richard's got the equalizer, hasn't he? So... So Isaac gets, gets the job done, gets the points decision, gets the rounds in, which is fantastic. I think he fought, what, Dylan Bregion? And then, then we got to see Vidal Riley. So I almost see Isaac as the first version of that kind of combination punching, kind of light heavyweight looking cruiserweight. And now we've got Vidal Riley coming through, who's like a super middleweight boxing a cruiserweight. Um, with the combinations and the movement that he's got. And I was highly impressed. I got to spend some time with, with Team Vidar Riley on Wednesday at the public workout, which, which was informative, because like, obviously I know Russ Gerrard through, through the amateur scene, and he's a thoroughly good man, but to meet the rest of the team, and then to realise, this is the most important thing for me, to realise that there's an intelligence and a plan to what Vidal Riley's doing at the moment, and that would include even the YouTube stuff. And I go, wow. This is why you have fathers involved in their sons' careers, because you need that. You need that credibility and that viability. And we're going to come on to fathers and sons later on when we talk about the Eubanks. But I wish more boxers would understand that you need that. No one is going to protect you from the rigors and the ravages of boxing more so than your father will. No one's going to be able to hit those psychological triggers, as I said about Teofimo Lopez. No one's going to be able to really get into that source code and make adjustments better than a dad. So to, to have a really good conversation, a broad-ranging conversation about boxing with Russ and everyone, I thought it was fantastic. And what, what they're doing with Vidal, I think, is right at the moment. I think it's all the good stuff. Um, I thought his performance against, is it Anis Taj? Was, was fantastic. It was a, an unnecessary fight. There was already a gap in class. They were able to recycle it based on the injury in the previous fight. And... I don't necessarily agree with stuff like that. I'm, I'm kind of bored of instant rematches because I'd quite like to see guys move on, then maybe come back around. But he got through it, and now you've got to start looking at guys and saying, who's going to give him rounds? Do you give him a Luke Watkins? You know, maybe if Jose Burton had stayed around for one more fight, that would have been a viable option. I don't know. But I think you're looking at Vidal now, and you're like, just whack him in for the English. Yeah, I think that's what he wants, the like English by the end of the year. And I think that's a fair, fair expectation. And then start hunting the British. But I think you probably want some stabilization fights at English level just to, to make sure everything's solid. Because once you leave English level, you're really chasing world titles. I don't think it's beyond Vidal, by the way. But I do. I enjoy watching him box. I love what they had him doing. Um, that conscious attempt to circle to the right had Taj in knots, essentially. And it just gave Vidal free reign to let go with the right hand. 
And it's surprising how really basic tactics can be really effective. You know, that, for me, that was just boxing 101. Put yourself in a position where you can't be hit, but you can hit. And we, should, we saw that with Vidal Ryan. He started to break down and it's Taj and then just ripped into him at the end there. Um, pretty savage stoppage. Uh, like I said, the brand name's enhanced and look, thoroughly enjoyed being around this team. I think they're a good bunch of people. Obviously, if, if you're in the amateur scene, you'll know Russ Gerrard a lot more. Um, uh, thoroughly good man. And I know he had a, a few runners and riders at the Harringay this weekend. So hopefully that all went well for him. So now on to the big three of the night. And let me keep it brief because I know you guys have some sunshine to be soaking in and all that good stuff. No one's ever going to convince me, not today, not tomorrow, not ever, that Aaron McKenna is a fighter I need to get behind. Because I don't, I don't get how this young man's been forced upon us because he's not a guy who's bubbled through, if we're being honest. He's been forced on us. Didn't they find him in America? And then Hennessy's now promoting him. and He's just being forced down our throat. But he never, he never offers definitive performances. Everything always seems to be a war. And sometimes it's like, well, I don't know if this is supposed to be a war, mate. You're making this harder than it needs to be. And that's the feeling you get with, with Aaron McKenna. So I can't tell you who's backing him and why and all this sort of stuff. I have zero idea. I just know that he's getting a push that doesn't make any sense. It's definitely not based on ability. Because as soon as you put him in with his contemporaries in this country, you'll find out very quickly we don't need to get excited by him. So I, And this kind of boils down to a bigger picture. I'd love to know what the Sky Slash Boxer strategy is in these situations. Because we can't keep just having this carousel of fights that don't make any sense. Because eventually fans will just turn off. At least with the zone, the fights are mediocre, but there's a storyline, right? Like after the fight, we know he's going to go and do this or he's going to go and do that. Here we've got no idea. I don't know who McKenna's going to fight next. I don't actually care, unfortunately. The biggest problem he's got is I don't care. Not that I don't, I don't care. Um, in terms of Caroline Dubois, you know, I maintain this for where she is in her career, man, she's still special. I think she probably tried too hard to bomb... Uh, I can't remember what the lady's name is, man. <laughs> Yeah, well, whoever, right? She tried to bomb the, the lady out with every shot. And there comes a point when, and this is what experience is, experience teaches you to, to mix it up a bit. And you'll know when it's the right moment to go for some of those shots. We'd also like to see her slash and rip more with uppercuts and just that variety, that kind of 360 attack that she's capable of. But we're, we're nitpicking at the fringes here. We are really nitpicking at the fringes because... She's damn good. Um, been a Caroline Dubois fan for as long as I've been doing podcasts, right? We're, we're, we're over seven years into this. Um, God, if, you, if you're really hardcore, you will remember the episode when I said everyone's talking about Daniel Dubois, but there's a young girl called Caroline who's even more special. And when you see her, you'll understand what I mean. And people said, ah, here he goes, just bigging up his mates. <laughs> There you go. But we've got to talk about big phrase. Now, Fraser Clark's a lovely man. I was around him at the public workout before the fight. And I just think he's a lovely, lovely man. He's a guy you can have a chat with. I have no problems with Fraser Clark. Like I think Fraser Clark is... He's everything you want a big heavyweight to be, yeah? If, if you gave him everything Joshua had, I feel he'd have a better public image as a result of that. Because he's just likable, he's nice, he's friendly, he's engaging, he's smart, he thinks before he speaks, all that sort of stuff, he does. All right? And that's all well and good, but... Someone tell me what level is he, just potential-wise, not ability-wise, because he's still growing, but potential-wise. Could we ever see Fraser Clark be one of the best five heavyweights on the planet? I don't know. Right? I don't know. And I'm not going to say this like, oh, you, you know, he should have knocked out Marius Vac. Um, 
No, I'm not going to say that. But I am going to say he should have had Vac in trouble. I don't think he did at any point in that fight. I thought Vac took the fight because he knew it was an easy payday. I don't think he takes the Wardley fight. I don't. I think if that had been Fabio Wardley on a Friday night at your call for 30 grand, I don't think he takes it. He knew he'd have an easy night against Fraser. And if I was Fraser, that would hurt me. So my biggest question is, why does Fraser come in at the best part of 18, 19 stone, but there's no power behind that? And he could come in at 17 and a half and be nimble and agile, lighter, fitter, and probably do more damage at a lighter weight. But, look, I'm, I'm not close to the team. I can't say too much. I like Fraser as a person, so it's hard for me to, to give him a kicking. I don't think it's right for me to give him a kicking. I'm a fan of his. I think he's a... I think he's a good man. I think he's a good ambassador for the brand. I, I like his humility after the fight when he was like, yeah, maybe I wasn't ready for those fights like I thought I was. Because maybe he's not. Maybe Adelaide would give him trouble. Maybe Fabio Wardy would give him trouble. So what do you do next? I think you try and find Lucas Brown. That's my opinion. I think you try and find Lucas Brown. And go, right, if you can't beat Lucas Brown, what's the point? But you get Lucas Brown in, get a good performance there, then you start chasing the other Brits. I think that's the direction they'll go in unless somebody else gets hold of Lucas Brown first. But how do you summarise that show? If you had nothing better to do on a Friday, then that was a hell of a show to watch. Simple as that. Um... I was on a long-ass phone call. I think I did about, about three hours on the phone. So it made sense to watch it on mute. And I was like, okay, this is fine. It's not too bad. But, um, yeah, it was okay. It was functional. I'm sure people put their hand in, in their pocket to pay for that show. Um, I, so I think Boxer have announced the partnership with Everlast now. So I can finally talk about that. So, congrats to, to Big Mike, our CEO of, of Fraser Brand. So, Mike, Mike Ashley's son-in-law. Got to spend some time with him on Wednesday. Interesting guy. Um, I'd love to tell you that he's, he's fascinated by the podcast. And we, we'll, we'll start being sponsored by Everlast, but we're not there yet. Maybe we're on step one or two of that journey. But it was good to meet him. We had a really good chat. Um, quite an interesting guy. Um, obviously Ben, you know, good to just, you know, touch base with him as well. You know, and I see a lot of people going, you know, a lot of people talk smack about Ben Shalom, right? They talk slick about Ben Shalom. And I'm like, okay. But none of you are really going to put it on him. Do you see what I mean? Like when, when he gets, to, when he stood in front of you, I mean, that, <laughs> he appears bigger than he does on TV. But I'll say this, like the, the, the crew that Sky and Boxer have now are, are a lot more fun than the previous regime. And that's, what, that's kind of what keeps, their, that keeps them immune from heavy criticism at the moment, is the fact that they're quite nice. They're quite, quite pleasant to be around, quite funny to be around, and they all seem to be having fun doing it. But I still think that a rethink is needed about what they're doing probably across every dimension, a rethink, a reboot, whatever you want to call it, something different needed because it's not quite clicking at the moment. It's not quite, it doesn't all hang together. It feels like a series of random transactions that don't make sense. And if you don't believe me, look at the talks now between Dan Aziz and Josh Boatsy and uh, right, these guys are going to fight in Brighton. I said, what the hell? Brighton on August 19th makes no sense to me. I'm going to tell you why it makes no sense at all. Number one, they share a fan base, more or less. In terms of people who put their hand in their pocket to go and watch these guys, they share a fan base because they don't live that far from each other. Didn't grow up that far from each other. They know each other, right? So to take that fan base and go, right, you lot are going to go all the way down to Brighton doesn't make any sense okay you drive there cool but now you're just going to drive there and drive back so it wasn't really worth it or you get the train but now it's just a long ass journey one way then the other and for what to go and do it in Brighton but Brighton's not even a, a town or a city is it a city I don't know 
Brighton is not a location that you've built. And I don't want to hear, oh, but look what they did in Bournemouth. Bournemouth had a fighter in Chris Billum Smith who already had the love of the city from his amateur days. Chris could do a couple of hundred tickets on an amateur show. So they already had that, and they'd been building that slowly. And Chris had been building his own profile, by the way. So he'd been putting that work in. So when they came to Bournemouth, it was part of a strategy to grow Chris Billum Smith and to grow Bournemouth. And that's where it culminated in him winning the world title. Who have they done that with in Brighton? They haven't even done that with Eubank Jr. Well, Wasserman didn't do it. And, and like he, I mean, it feels slapdash. It feels like Brighton have said, oh, we saw what you did with Bournemouth. Come and do it here. And Sky have gone, yeah, we'll do it. And there's probably a good financial package for using Brighton. But it's a terrible decision for the fans. And I won't be surprised if the fans stay away. It will be the, the, the hardest of hardcore fans of Dan and Josh that will show up. Because don't forget, later in that evening, if the dates are confirmed, it's then Cam Smith against Baterbiev. So you might just go, right, I want to watch this at home. So why don't I just watch both cards at home? And then there's me just banging my head against a brick wall going, hold on guys, this makes no sense. So someone should tell broadcasters, right? Nobody wants to watch boxing from 7 in the evening till 5 in the morning. Nobody. If you do, you need friends. Right? I don't, so I don't want to have to mess around getting to Aziz Boatsi, then mess around trying to watch Smith Baturbian. It's a horrible day. It's a horrible, horrible day. They should be on different weeks. They should be one on the 12th, which would be Josh and Dan, and then one on the 19th. Putting them all in one day, I bet they all think they're really clever. Oh, we're just giving people like a super Saturday of boxing. No, you're just annoying people. Like, that August the 19th, if it, if it goes as planned, it's looking like a complete disaster. Not only that, here's where I feel... This has to be sabotage. How many people are on holiday? So you choose the Saturday before the bank holiday to put these guys on. Knowing that people are going to make the, make the most of that bank holiday and go, right, let me just go on holiday and use the extra day. This feels like sabotage. So then... When, when these guys do want to fight for world titles, you go, well, this is how much money you generated. Yeah, we're not going to pay you what you think you're worth. That's what this feels a bit like. Like, we're just going to show them that the pot's small. It could also be that, like I said, they overpaid for some of their acquisitions. And so they've got to cut their cloth. But I'm just suggesting these things. I don't know it for a fact. If I was Dan, I'd be looking at it like, you're having me fight my biggest fight at the worst time of the year when nobody's here. And those who are here, that August 19th, I can tell you now, if it's not Studio 338, if it's not, ah, wherever it is in Manchester, Victoria Warehouse, um, if it's not um, Jake's Bar, Call Lane in Leeds or Revs down that way, if it's not all of these places bumping on Saturday night going, listen, we want your money, who else is it going to be? Then don't be surprised if Hearn doesn't say, why don't I do a show on August 19th? But then he's kind of locking in Joshua on August 12th. All of this is just looking like a disaster. It, it just... In my... In my I, I'd have Dan and Josh box in September. I'd let everyone get their holidays out of the way. And I'd let, I'd let the Joshua thing happen. I'd let the Canelo thing happen. And then I'd have Josh versus Dan. That's how I'd have done it. If I cared about the fighters... That's how I would have done it. If I wanted them to maximize their profile, that's how I would have done it. But watch. Come September, you have a card full of numbnuts on Sky Sports. Just a card solid full of numbnuts going, these guys could have fought in August. And this is why we need someone to explain what the strategy is, because it's confusing. Now, I know if I'm going to look stateside, I have to talk about Regis Progray, but... We can't start to talk about the design card without talking about what happened to Ramla Ali. Oh, man. Wow. 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 
And I take no joy, by the way, in it because I found it very distressing to watch that. One of the things that always worried me, because I got to see it through rugby, was the effect that concussions, excuse me, the effect that concussions have on women, um, on their, on them physically, in terms of brain health, emotionally, psychologically, like, you know, the mood swings become worse, like some are more prone to violence after repeated concussions. So when I watch that, I take no joy. I don't smile, I don't whoop and holler, I'm just like, wow. Because I know what's coming. And I don't know the Mexican that she fought. That's another Mexican they seemingly just dug up out of nowhere. Like, when are people going to go, now nah, I'm not fighting the Mexican, Eddie? Now, nah, I'm not falling for the okie doke again. So Ramla Ali's in this fight, right? And she gets into an exchange. And the Mexican lady, God bless her, I really wish I'd remembered her name, has just left, she just let this left hook go. And it wasn't even full, it wasn't full power. This was the mad thing about it was, it was like a lazy left hook, just, just one that you kind of finish off with. And go, yeah, let me just get this in here real quick. And I thought it snapped Ramla's neck. And I've, I haven't seen anyone go, from standing to lying down that quick since Amir Khan. And I don't say that to, to joke around, but it was the same kind of fear you had then. And I thought, wow, um, first of all, I hope she's okay. But then I was just like, you can't let her box again. That was it. I said, no, 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 no. Tear up, tear up her medical card. Tear up every, just say, nah, this ain't for you. Because that will happen again. Guaranteed, And I wouldn't be surprised if that didn't already happen in the build-up to the fight. Because you shouldn't be going out like that. And it leaves me conflicted because normally what you'd want to do is go, who, who, who took the fight, this, that, and the third? But Ram Lally's a grown woman. She's working to a, a well-orchestrated plan that has all been predicated on this refugee from Somalia done good. Um... Whatever you choose to do in your life is your choice. That's not my business. From a, from a boxing perspective, I always wondered if that was a distraction. I always wondered if boxing was being used as a stepping stone to the bigger thing, which was um, the, the media profile. You don't go to Los Angeles for no reason. So clearly they went to shop the story. And we live in a social climate now where you know, these sort of hard luck stories seem to just make good films, supposedly. But no one watches them. Because it's like, well, I can point to about 30 Somali refugees involved in boxing who have all done good. That's the harsh reality. It's not a special story anymore. Um, why wouldn't you do a film about Ellie Scottney's story? All this sort of stuff. But, but she's working to a plan, and I wish her all the best. Because like, it's life, right? But we've got to commentate on the boxing. And from a boxing perspective, you can't put her back in the ring after that. Because you take two or three more of those, you might not remember you in Somalia as a kid. That's the fear. And I speak as someone who cares, as, you know, I mean, a 20 year veteran of Fitzroy Lodge. Ramler was at the Lodge. Obviously, we didn't cross paths for timing reasons, but. I'll always have a lot of time for her because she's one of us. Met her family. Her family are lovely people. Her friends are lovely people. She's surrounded by lovely people. She doesn't need to, to be sustaining traumatic brain injuries. And I hope she realizes that too because you look at her physically and if you look at her legs, she never looks solid. Like, I'll, I'll look at Ellie Scottney, and I'll see, and I'll go, do you know what? Elle looks like she's been on her squats. Elle looks like she's been doing hill sprints. Elle looks like there's been an active attempt to work on, on leg strength. With Ramla, she always looked frail, and I, I watched that. I said, what would Ellie Scottney have done to her? What would Ebony Bridges have done to her? What would Shanika Jackson have done to her if they'd connected with that same shot? So I hope for, for hope's sake that that Ramler pursues the other aspects of her professional ambitions and probably parks boxing for now. 
because boxing's moved on. When she was an amateur, you could get away with the kind of ta 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 But now you've got real monsters. You've got real monsters with access to tablets and, and syrups and serums and all sorts of elixirs of, for, for performance. It's probably not a game you need to play. So I would, in her position, man, I just, I wouldn't bother. As for Regis Prograde, let's just keep it really, really brief and simple. People are trying to tell me that Regis Prograde would beat Josh Taylor. After Saturday, I hope those people are sitting back down now with their thumbs in their mouths. Regis Prograde's soul got taken by Josh Taylor. In the second half of that fight, the way he beat up Regis Prograde and beat the ego out of him. You can walk around going roo with the big monster behind you as much as you want, but Josh Taylor took your soul. So when people talk about Prograde's one of the two best 140-pounders he isn't, and don't be basing it on what he did against Ndongo, don't base it on anything that backward. I mean, the reality is that's what we, what we got on Saturday is who he is. That doesn't mean I don't want to see him in fights. I'd like to see him fight Broner when Broner's match fit. I'd like to see him fight Ryan Garcia. I'd like to see him fight all of these guys. I'd like to see him fight Teo. I'd even like to see him rematch Josh, but that'd have to be at 147 because I don't think Josh would make 140 again. And so you look at it and you go, why would you sign to zone apart from to get the money? Because Hearn's just throwing money left, right and centre, but is not a draw. That New Orleans show didn't look spectacularly good. Um, you know, we haven't talked about Matchroom. Basically, just getting the arse end of the stick in terms of venues. Like, they, they rarely do. I think they've done a couple of Madison Square Garden shows, but that's Katie Taylor and some Canelo shows. But Hearn hasn't been able to make a dent in real boxing markets. Just hasn't. And all he's doing is burning through zone's cash to satisfy his ego and convince people he's still relevant in America. And now, before we talk about Eubanks Senior, let's have a quick motivational message for you all. Happy Tuesday morning, guys. In the gym. Come on, getting it in. Today is a day where you get up and do something. Today's the day when you get out on the road, get your runners on. Go to the gym, make amends. Tell that somebody that you love them. Because tomorrow ain't promised. And that's a fact. Factual matters are, time flies. And before we know it, we've gone from young people to old. And then we move over for a new generation coming. So now... Oh man, like... He, he, he will tell us everything possible, right? He will chat GPT us on everything. Apart from who he's going to fight, where and when. And you can see why people are getting frustrated because let's go back five years, probably six years now. And we were talking about the heavyweight division is terrible because Tyson Fury is not in it. If Fury was here, all these fights would have got done. Fury entered the heavyweight division, now he's the problem. He's become the problem. He's become the blocker to things happening. But I guess like when, you're, when you know you're the number one guy, you can afford to play hardball like this. But it's just not, I don't want to say it's not fair, it's not boxing, but it's just, he's losing himself fans. So I think if he came out definitively and said, look, I'll fight this person, then I'll fight Uzi by the end of the year, then we'd all be back on the Fury train. So let's talk about Chris Eubank Sr. Um, if you know me well, you know I've got so much love for, for Eubank Sr. I think he's... He's one of the 10 greatest British boxers. And when I major greatness, I mean in the ring and out the ring. Like the impact he's had from a boxing perspective. He's one of the few British boxers who can go anywhere and be recognized. But he lost his son, Sebastian. You know, and that's not that long ago. And you wonder if he's had the time or the opportunity to grieve. But he... He's not the man he used to be. And we can see that. He's, he's thinner now. You can see he's thinner. He's, he's, he's aged noticeably. And I think we forget the impact that losing a son must, be, must have on you. Like That must be devastating. 
there can't be a day you don't think about that. There can't be a day you don't go, could I have done X better? Could I have done Y better? And at this time, I think we should all kind of leave Senior alone. But people keep calling him onto their platform. And I understand why, because he's very straight talking. Um, he gives you a, a unique insight into boxing. And I think it's an insight that needs to be expressed more. And he does all of these fantastic things, by the way. But he looks like a man that's still hurting. And I don't see anyone showing him the compassion. And definitely not Simon Jordan. Why boxing fans have suddenly coalesced around Simon Jordan as his voice of intellect and reason baffles me. I'm not going to say, I don't think the guy's an idiot, by the way. You're not an idiot if you make a load of money. But when it comes to boxing, he's absolutely clueless. And everything is about Simon Jordan, for the benefit of Simon Jordan. Like, I'm glad that Eubank is as astute and as smart as he is because he was able to, to run, or should I say, talk rings around Simon Jordan. But he, he raised so many interesting points that many people are afraid to talk about. And I guess deep down, that's why we're all Eubank fans, right? Murder, I said it yeah, before. I, I heard you say that. He's a grown man, Chris. He's a grown man? He's no, he's my, you know, he's my son. Sure. He's my boy. He's my yeah, child. Yeah. He will always be my child. Yeah, understood. You that. understand? Even though he's a man, and I yeah. give him his respect, because it, it, it's, it, he's, it's, it's almost impossible to do what he's done. I respect his... Uh, kahunas so much but to be choices. able to follow to follow in my footsteps. But absolutely, that can is, you imagine that how is difficult that must be for him. But what can I do? I told him not to get involved in boxing. It's mm -hmm. not what you think it's about. No, it's a boxing, game. Bo boxing. brutal sport. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Brutal. Okay, yeah. When you feel you're being murdered in that ring, and I've been in this situation, you feel you've been murdered. You have, you have the, you have the. The visceral the, reaction the, to it. No, hold on. You have the wherewithal to quit and say, "Well, I've had enough," but you can't because uh, uh, the warrior's code doesn't allow. You see, this is not a sport. It's not singing. It's not acting. This is real. Yeah. The, these punches are actually yes. Yeah. They're breaking you down and they're they're killing you. Well, I've been in well, these. Uh, hold on. I've been in these fights. So so. And I've watched it. So so when you say you know. Let him be his own man. How can I let him be his own man when you can't be a man in this unless you've got someone directing you who's been there, who's felt it, who's... And there you go, Simon Jordan trying to interject when Eubank's talking about something that Simon can't relate to, but he can't help himself. But there, this is what I mean. Like, you can see, just listen to the emotion in Senior's voice. Like, he's not... He's not over it. Like, he's a dad. He gets to watch his son. And if you remember at the time, he said, they're trying to kill my boy. That's what he said. He's trying to kill, they're, they're trying to kill my boy. And you can see he's not fully over that yet. This conversation. What did he say? He said, I don't know about that. I said I'd fight him at any weight. I said I'd fight him at 160. That's what Connor said. So who engineered the 157? I'll tell you who engineered it. Uh, the handlers, the promoters. Because they have something against whether it's Junior or it's me, I don't know. But who engineered that? That person should be outed. And let me tell you something about Connor, which no one has actually brought up, which I don't understand why they haven't brought it up. Connor went on to a show called The Piers Morgan Show. Mm -hmm. That's what... Um, yeah, I think he's off about the Conor Ben thing, but I think we need 100% clarity on who did suggest the 157 pound clause, because if Conor said, I'll fight you at 160, the fight should have happened at 160. Why didn't it happen at 160? I haven't heard IFL ask the question. I haven't heard Boxing Social ask the question of, of Hearn, because Hearn would have been the guy quarterback in this whole thing, right? But no one's asked that question. And then, you know, that leads you to all the other stuff. That, and like I said, this is where you've got to respect Senior because Senior is the only guy who's asking the most basic questions of the people in boxing. Misguided, I say to you this. Where was his team? Everyone's hiding. He's the only one who came out to say, hold on a minute. 
And listen to his words. He said, I don't know what happened. Bamboozled. It's like, I don't know what happened. Let me tell you what, when someone is uh, guilty of something, there's no, they, there's no way they walk into the light and talk about it. And the light of Piers Morgan, uh-uh, that proves his innocence to me. Mm. Now, who are his team? And how comes, I mean, how comes there's one person actually going down? He has a team. Someone would have had to administer uh, these uh, uh, drugs or mm. steroids. Someone would, who are these people? Now, the only people I know next to him is a former fighter and his promoter. So they have to be looked into. The Boxing Board of Control should look into them. And let me tell you, let me tell you this. You, you, you think prison is a, is a, is a, is a, a, a confined space and you can't get in and you can't get out. Let me tell you what. When Nigel Ben finds out what they've done to his son, mm. prison will not even be safe for the guy. But you're bringing okay. Tony Sims and, and Eddie okay. Hearn into the conversation. I didn't, I didn't mention their names. But, but that's the promoters and those yeah, yeah. Hold on, hold on. I, didn't, I mean, Chris, those I didn't, involved would deny any wrongdoing. Hold on, hold on, hold on. They would, would they? So why don't they? But no one, no one has anyone put them in in front of the. Listen, Connor is a clean fighter. That is the best question anyone in boxing has asked about the whole Conor Ben situation. That is the best question. That is the greatest question. That is the most important question anybody has asked. Why haven't those involved in the Sims gym come out and said, we knew nothing of this, we had nothing to do with this? Because what's 100% clear is the clomiphene was in Conor Ben's system. According to the science, remember we were told to believe the science. The clomiphene was in Conor Ben's system. Tony Sims is an old school guy, yeah? And I've been in these old school gyms and the rule goes like this. Don't be doing anything outside the gym related to boxing that I don't know about. And anything that happens in this gym is on my watch. So to be taking steroids in the gym. Do you remember that guy? What was his name? Sean something. The dude from Blackpool. What did he do when the guy was selling gear in his gym? And he gave him a proper, proper right-handed slap. That's what I mean about old school guys in the gym. You can't act up in the gym. So the question is who actually knew and who co-signed it? The only way you're going to fix this drug problem in boxing is to make people, say it again, is to make people accountable. Because there are a handful of people who have access to pharma-grade performance-enhancing drugs, and that's really what you want, because then you've got a, a certain profile. You know when things will clear. So you need pharma-grade. Only a handful of people can do that. The board could ban all of them and their associates, and that would solve the problem almost immediately. So my conclusion has always been this. Either nobody gets banned or everybody gets banned. Because if they knew, then they've stood by this guy through all of this when this should have been resolved close to a year ago. Ban all of them. But the board are too scared because, as I keep saying, you know there's some skeletons in the closet. But no, we'll skip that, man. I, I also just remember Eubank speaking on his, on his relationship with Chris. And I think people underestimate how important Senior was in building Junior and making Junior could have the lifestyle that he lives now. Three fights he and had. same for Connor as well, then. There were three fights he had. Now, this will actually shock a lot of these fighters because I know what they're being paid or I have a feeling of what they're being paid. Okay? Three fights with fighters who were like Yildirim. Okay? Nine million dollars. Nine million. I got him that. Mm -hmm. He can't make that money without someone like me. They're paying these guys £60,000 a fight. Mm. Let me tell you something, okay? What's going on is a disgrace. It's a racket. It's a racketeering. 100%. Senior says it again. If you understood boxing, you will understand that there is a budget for a fight and there's what the fighters get paid. That's all I'll say on that. Well, no, I'll say a bit more for context. So if I've got a hundred grand to make um, Wardley versus Adelaide, 
That's it. I've got to make that fight for 100 grand. If I offer both guys 25 grand and they accept, I've got 50 grand to myself. No one ever asks me to account for it. Think how many fights happen in the UK. Now think how many times that must be happening. And think of situations where someone may find that advantageous for their own agenda for that to happen. Come back to Boxing 101. The aim is to find people with money and to separate them from their money for your own benefit. And Senior's not afraid to mention it. It is. It's, it, is it absolutely is a racket. It's a disgrace as well. And, and so I, I encourage everyone to go and listen to that interview because it's 40 minutes of pure gold. But you'll see that they'll start to silence Eubank, they'll start to dismiss him, they'll start to talk about our, you know, his mental health as a concern, this, that, and the third. But the truth is, for a man who's been so disrespected by people like Eddie Hearn, and he has numerous times, um, obviously it makes things difficult for Frank Smith, who's trying to marry into that family, but the fact that they're not married yet would tell you that there might be some issues around that. Just the fact that you're trying to do all of these things while disrespecting the man who essentially allowed you to go to private school is, is a disgrace. But I also hope for Chris's sake now, he'll fall into the background and recover and heal as, as in how he decides to and how he should. Because he's a national treasure and you'd, you'd hate for anything to befall Chris Eubank Sr. I'm just a, I'm a fan of his, I'm a big respecter of his, probably always will be. And it was heartbreaking to see that because... There was a video afterwards of him on a night out, and you didn't know if he was happy or he was tortured. And that was the thing. I said, like, oh, man, I just wonder where he's at. And all you can do is hope and pray that Chris Eubanks Sr. finds peace because he is a national treasure, not just a boxing treasure. He's a national treasure. And, guys, on that note, I will I will say thank you. But quick request. Um, people go, oh, my God, he wants something from us. Oh, come on, man. Soho House membership. Who's a member? There must be people listening to this who are members. I might need to get a membership. So if you are, get in touch, please, because I might need that. I might need that cosign. <laughs> and I don't want to say take care, guys. Um, hopefully I've given you enough to help you with your dog walks, your cardio, whatever it is you need to do today. Take care.